are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Spock, how is it going? Um, it is, as they say, going, sir. How's it with you? Well, it's, it's really, uh... Yes? Uh, it's, it's terrible, Spock, it's terrible. Yes, for me too, Captain. What happened to us? To use an earthism, the holidays happened. Oh, should we just intro? If you think that's best, sir. Yeah, I really do. (laughs) Uh, Hello, friends at home. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Laura Sagarski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, and Spockian first officer here at the Starship Therapies. Just a reminder to the friends at home that just because we're therapists does not mean that we are your therapists, unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Well said, sir. Thanks. Doing my best. I have a cold and uh, I was traveling and it's and not the the fun kind of travel here. No. No. It was it was not particularly no. fun travel. Um yeah, and it's cold here in the the fair city of Minneapolis. And I it I feel like we're getting into kind of the the malaise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the uh, the melancholia, if you will. Um <laughs> Shout out, shout out to Lars von Trier. Uh, yes, yes, he is highly problematic. He said some really awful things about pretty much <laughs> all groups of people, all different groups of people. Um, if you're a person, Lars has probably offended you. Um, but he did, you know, he's he made that film Melancholia. And for those of you who've seen it, you know, I would say that I do think it's a it's a pretty arresting and accurate depiction of what depression feels like. Mm. Um, and so that's why sometimes I, I invoke it, uh, as I did just now, to add to the malaise, if you will. Mm. Yeah. M- malaise days. Am I right? You know, I was, I was feeling down. Um, but, but now, thanks to that <laughs> wonderful portmanteau, <laughs> suddenly I feel reinvigorated. Um, not unlike... <laughs> Pickle Rick, when Pickle he Rick. Uh, Pickle Rick, when he what is it? He eats the cockroach, I guess, and he, and he he begins to crawl again. Okay, can um, so mm-hmm. if you are a regular listener of the show, friends yes. at home, you will know that I often um request that our lovable first officer watch things that she has not watched before. Um, in this case. She insisted that I watch something called Rick and Morty. <laughs> um, I, One of the real I, gems of uh, of cartoons in this current yeah. era. Yes, uh, I was I was <laughs> obligated only to watch Pickle Rick. Yes, um, and was told that I would need no back information, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that. I could fully understand what was happening without um, any assistance. Um, I this is accurate, but also, huh? <laughs> um, so I, I have I have many questions. Um, I was vaguely familiar with Rick and Morty because I am a person who goes to conventions, and you like cannot go to a convention without seeing a million Ricks and now a million pickle Ricks. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a fundamentally true statement. There is like one pickle Rick for every like tenth person at a convention, and I don't right. think that's an exaggeration. No, I think they're more plentiful than Deadpool's at this point, and that's really saying something. It it really is. 
Um, yeah. I, okay. So the cockroach thing. I I was I was on board. I was like, <laughs> this seems this seems like a lovable but adult cartoon. And then. And then he bites the head off the cockroach and starts controlling it by putting Rick's tongue to cockroach's brain. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, "Mm, I think this makes up for every film I've ever made you watch. Yes. So um, just to back up a a scotch, that what you're describing right now is why... I tried to, I very much was trying to like sell the Pickle Rick episode based on you not having to watch the entire series because I, <laughs> I felt, I felt real sure, as sure as one can feel without having actually tested something out uh, using the scientific method that you would not be on board with the series Rick and Morty as a whole. <laughs> it just, it very much felt like it would be like, a bridge too far and to your point there's there is i think this is one of like like the mechanics of the show that there's that first couple of minutes where you're like oh you know this is an adult cartoon that's fun and quirky and a little serious but still fun in that like (laughs) (laughs) in, in a sort of like a light whimsical way um and then maybe at about like the three minute mark um, something will happen in the whatever app you're watching on Rick and Morty that will make it very clear that this is not that type of cartoon. No. No. Yeah, no. Um, uh, but before we delve into um, my my trauma of, mm-hmm. of watching the program, what? Uh, so I realized pretty early on why you had said that this was mm-hmm. an app that we would be covering uh, because Rick seems to have turned himself into a pickle to avoid going into family therapy. Right. And as, you know, you don't even have to be a, um, you know, habitual listener of our podcast to know. <laughs> habitual. <laughs> to, to like, to immediately kind of grok here um, why something like a cartoon using a framing device of family therapy would be appealing to us because we are family therapists. And if any of you don't know, there's not a lot of programming out there that's aimed at us. No, no. If there is one thing we can say about the way therapists are depicted in media, it is that we are tropes. And we, oh, oh, add it to the list. That could be an app we could do. Oh, hold on. You keep talking. I'm going to, I'm going to add it to the list. Great. Uh, So we get really excited when uh, therapy and therapists are represented in a fairly accurate way. Um, Even if we're being poked fun at, that's cool. As long as it's, you know, relatively accurate and i can tell you i have had people in my office who if they had the power to turn themselves into a pickle rather than showing up they would have done that oh a thousand percent (laughs) yes i I would say that in my experience normally it goes down in in the way that it is depicted on rick and morty in that it is rare that the person who would prefer to turn themselves into a pickle other than show up for family therapy is coming for individual therapy normally they are coming as part of a group um Mm -hmm. because left to their own devices they're not going to come they don't even have to turn themselves into a pickle no no No. if if Mm -mm. this is individual therapy they just won't show up right and i think here lies maybe the the initial dilemma for rick because despite the fact that rick spends roughly what uh, maybe like six minutes of every episode total saying how much he doesn't care about his family um is totally willing to leave them in the dust at any second he is a man of the mind not a man of the heart because emotions are dumb and stupid and being smart means that you don't have to care about anybody or anything and all rules and laws and morals and values are just you know totally relative (laughs) despite reiterating that point every episode it's pretty clear that rick's family is in fact important to him because if they weren't important to him he wouldn't have bothered to turn himself into a pickle in the first place right he would have just looked at his daughter and said i'm not going 
fuck you and the kids. I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God bless you. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, may my soul re-enter my body. Yeah, you know, because demons, it's that time of year, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just to be clear, it was a cough, not a sneeze. So my soul was never in any danger. Um, That's true. You know, what you were in danger of was dying. <laughs> because one of the other tropes that probably I pay attention to a lot, and I imagine you do as well, as someone who is not who doesn't have health privilege, um, is that whenever in in a television, movie program, video game, you want to signal to the viewer, reader, audience member, what have you, that this person is frail <laughs> you give have you, you give them a cough oh like like mr wing mr wing in gremlins 2 exactly. had a cough exactly in the beginning he has that cough and you know yeah. that he is going to be dead within five minutes of the next scene and in fact he is well yeah and the 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 dude who's trying to like buy his shop to tear it down is like he'll be dead soon let's just go <laughs> As if he Did needed... you hear that cough? He'll be dead soon. <laughs> That's right. He'll be dead soon. As if he... And that, I mean, and that goes to show the ways that Gremlins 2 really overdid it on the tropes. Because as audience members, we didn't need that guy who, fun fact, even though I can't remember that actor's name, he played the AI doctor on Voyager. <laughs> he just kept working. He just kept working. Far less hair. Um, but, you know. As a man, part of his privilege was that he can continue to work even if he went bald. Um, we didn't need him to reiterate the point that Mr. Mr. Wing, right? Mr. Wing, Wing was yes. Wing, yes, that Mr. Wing was going to die because we knew that because he coughed. <laughs> and this is a great example of the ways that tropes can hurt us all. Because if you are a person who coughs as part of your asthma, such as myself, I'm sure you've experienced that like you will be out in the world and you will cough and people look, will look at you. As if you were bringing death into their space. <laughs> and what have you brought for Christmas dinner? <laughs> Bronchitis. Um... You, you'll be visited by three coughs. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just want to say to our friends at home that mm -hmm. Larissa and I recognize that we are a little bit uh, punch happy. And it's yes. the holidays, man. Yeah. This is what they do. They and do. And how, I, I gotta say, I, I appreciate in some ways this Pickle Rick because it just was all over the place. It was everywhere and nowhere at once. Well said. And, and that felt, that felt super on brand to where I'm at emotionally right now. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because um, on the rewatch, I've seen this episode a number of times, um, but on this most recent rewatch, for the first time I found, I found myself empathizing with Rick. Um, hmm. Right, I know. So stay with me here for a second, because I, you know, you probably like many people are like, what? That doesn't really jive with how we see you, Larissa. And that's, that's good, because... <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I would say I aspire to be the antithesis of Rick in all forms, including Pickle. But <laughs> the exhaustion that Rick exudes in mm. the beginning and really throughout, you know, even once he's taken on this super bionic, diehard Rambo Pickle Rick thing with all of his different zombie rat and cockroach parts. Mm. Um he is clearly so tired. He is so worn out. He has spent so much time with the family. The family has been through so much. I mean, for those of you who aren't aware, spoilers ahead, but like Beth and Jerry have just broken up after having what I would go on record as saying is probably one of the worst cartoon marriages ever depicted. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a low bar, friends. Um <laughs> Cartoon marriage is not known for its uh its healthiness uh -huh. or its functionalism. <laughs> it's open. It's open and empathic communication. Um yeah, so it's it's been a long haul for Rick and he's just tired and he's like, I don't want to do any more work. And this is where my empathy kind of falls apart because 
realistically, Rick has done little to no work to try and be present and connected in a healthy way with his family members. But the little work that he has done has exhausted him so much that he he just he doesn't know how to face the next thing, the next thing being family therapy. And this certainly resonated for me, you know, because we're through Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. We're and almost Hanukkah. At the, yeah. Where, where are the, is Hanukkah's, Hanukkah's last day today? Uh, uh, well, by the time our listeners hear this, Hanukkah will be over. You're right. Fair. So Hanukkah is over now. We're getting into Christmas, pagan solsticism, what you will. New Year's <laughs> Eve. So like we're right at the center. The eye of the holiday storm, if you will. And I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah, so you're you're really you're empathizing with Rick. You're feeling you're feeling those feels. Yeah, for the first time ever. And it was it was weird and uncomfortable, but but there it was. Mm. Uh, what I thought was interesting, and of course, I know, friends, I know nothing about Rick and Morty aside from this episode and uh, the Pickle But it's a, great, see- it's a great bottleneck I- episode because yeah. I, I think it gives you a lot of like the textual color of the family and the dynamics mm-hmm. in 23 yep. minutes. In 23 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I know nothing aside from this episode and the Pickle Ricks that I see at conventions uh, who always seem very happy. Much happier than the Deadpools. They do. Uh, and, you know, I think part of it is because many of the Pickle Ricks seem to have lovingly crafted their costumes themselves, you know, which mm-hmm. is very much within the style of Pickle Rick the Entity. Um, <laughs> so they're usually very happy and very pleased. And, like, the ones that I've seen are always very willing to stop and take pictures. It, it's lovely. Yeah. I, I digress, yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, what I appreciated... Um, as a family therapist, uh, what what people who are not family therapists might not know is that families tend to wind up in therapy because there is one person or a couple Ooh. people who are, quote unquote, causing problems. The and... IP or identified patient, if you will, here's mm-hmm. to you, Ann Ramage. <laughs> Someday our former professor, Ann Ramage, will discover these tapes. <laughs> <laughs> And hopefully she will be honored, <laughs> if vaguely confused. If confused. Um, why aren't you ever talking about, oh, what was his name? The guy with the really long name, and she caught, she used the nickname for him. Naj. Naj. Why aren't you ever talking about Naj? Oh, man, Naj and the family ledger, which always makes me think of you. And the family ledger is Whitaker. No, 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 because it was like balancing the family ledger. Because, like, remember, and you always use the analogy of Natasha Romanov. Yeah, that's Whitaker. No, that's not Whitaker. That's that's Naj. What the hell? How do I spell Naj? Yeah, because he had this idea because his father was a was he was he a lawyer? I think. Um, <laughs> Naj, family therapist. So, ooh, ooh, I found him. Hold on, oh. Ivan. Oh, guys, this is this is one for the <laughs> Starship Therapy's history books here. Here we go. His name was Ivan Bosnermenyi Naji. <laughs> he was a Hungarian American psychiatrist and one and, of the and founders. He was the family, family ledger family. guy. He was the family ledger guy. Um, because what was? Hold on. Uh, for folks who are because right, his was his was contextual family therapy and it was all about relational ethics oh. or like the justice dimension of of close relationships and so he talked about like there being that family ledger where even though it yeah. wasn't spoken it often was that people mm-hmm. had a sense of what they were owed versus what they were giving and that mm-hmm. if they felt that what they were owed was not matched what they were giving out to specific family members, they would hold on to that. They would keep it in their ledger. So even years after the fact, they would they would still they wouldn't be able to move past it. Um, and what was his he would talk in general. There were like two big areas he talked about. So the relationship between parents and children, it is appropriate for the parents output to exceed or be higher than what the child is reciprocating because 
it's a baby, right? Like babies need more from their parents. Um, certainly can shift when it's the parent and their adult child. But that was a situation with it made sense for it to be, I don't know, unbalanced, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but between family members who are in the same hierarchy, and I know now I'm getting a little Mnuchin here, um, but family members who... <laughs> I'm just had... I'm thinking of a poor, uh, poor Joe and Jane Smith. I know sitting at home, going They're so confused right now. I signed up for this for pickle Rick. Right? Why am and... I getting high bar family therapy <laughs> concepts? Just stay with me for just a minute, Joe and Jane, because we got this. All right. So, family members who are basically in the on this on the same like power dynamic field right so like brothers and sisters what they owe and what they need from each other should be pretty equal parents what they owe and need from each other should be pretty equal right but when it's not when it's unbalanced that where that is where hard feelings can come up and then people hold on to those feelings until you know he he didn't use the word atonement um but i'm gonna use the word atonement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Until what? What did he say? You can atone or you can forgive? Ugh, what, what did he say, Justine? Uh, I don't know. You've gone far beyond what I remember <laughs> studying for that horrible exam, which uh, the example you were talking about earlier, the, re- the way I remembered this for yes. you have to take lots of tests to become a therapist, which if you have a therapist, you should be glad that that's true. Um, it's true. It's important that we know that we know things. And don't worry, yeah. we do. We do, because uh, we passed those exams. Uh, the way that I remembered this family ledger thing was with Natasha Romanoff. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, it, the, uh, the MCU iteration, where she talks about having read in her ledger. And she... Uh, she wanted to make sure that her ledger was balanced. And so that's how I remembered this concept. I was like, Black Widow, Black Widow, mm-hmm. <laughs> Black yes. Widow, family ledger. Mm-hmm. So this is not a concept we had intended to talk about today, but um, it's not wholly off topic. And no, it's not it actually. Be, no. And it may be interesting, friends at home, to consider because even if you've never heard this concept before, you are aware of this concept. Because right. um, I, t- I talk about this with clients and I'm like, oh, it's it's like it's like a ledger. It's like you owe them something like, mm-hmm. yes. Right. These people seem to think that I owe them something. I don't feel like I owe them anything. Ooh, and, and that is going to get right to the heart of Pickle Rick. Yes, because if there's one thing that Rick is sure of, it's that he doesn't owe anybody anything. Mm hmm. And that is going to be at the heart of his breakdown between him and first and foremost, Beth, his daughter, but then secondarily between him and his grandchildren, mm-hmm. Summer and yes. Morty. Which brings us back to the identified patient concept, which we didn't get all the way through. No, we didn't uh, because Naj. Yep. Because we went on. The, but look, look how we're we're going off on these tangents and we're coming back. I feel like we're in an episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> We have really this, embodied. <laughs> we really, I feel like this is an embodiment episode. Uh, it's co- it's podcast cosplay, if you will. Podcause. <laughs> Cospod? You know, let's, let's just keep going. Let's talk about the identified patient. Okay. So the concept here, and this is not going to be unusual to anybody who has been in family therapy, is folks usually wind up there because a kid did something. Usually it's a kid. Uh, The kid acted out at school, or in this case, uh, the kid huffed glue or peed on a desk, which I'm not, it doesn't matter to me. This is all, I'm just accept, I'm radically accepting the truth of Rick and Morty. Um, But of course that's why they're there, because the kids did something. Uh, Other very common identified patients are uh, folks dealing with drug and alcohol abuse. Those those folks tend to mm-hmm. sort of shine a spotlight on something that's going on uh, in the whole family. Because the thing is, and we we get to see some of this in the Pickle Rick episode, is that is there really something wrong with uh, poor little Morty and his sister? Or is there something really fucking wrong with the family system 
mm-hmm. that they are jumping up and down and screaming and going, there's something wrong with my family system, but I don't know how to articulate that because I'm a child. Obviously, Morty and Summer are seizing on your arbitrary pickle obsession as an end run around what was supposed to be their therapy. Oh, I think this pickle incident is a better path than any other to the heart of your family's dysfunction. I think it's possible that you and your father have a very specific dynamic. I don't think it's one that rewards emotion or vulnerability. I think it may punish them. I think it's possible that dynamic eroded your marriage and is infecting your kids with the tendency to misdirect their feelings. But what I appreciated um, at the beginning of this app was that Rick didn't want to go. And how interesting. If he really believed that the kids were the problem, why would it matter if he went? He'd go, he'd be bored, whatever. But I got to wonder if Rick has some insight into the Mm. fact that he's the fucking problem and that's why he doesn't want to go. No, my father has never turned himself into a pickle before. He's unpredictable and eccentric. The whole family is. Speaking of which... Okay, let's open things up to the whole family and let me ask this. Why do we think Grandpa turned himself into a pickle? Oh, I love when she talks about grandpa. Me too. And it's so interesting because, well, it's of note to us because we're family therapists and we're always paying attention to the labels and names that people self-identify with. And then Mm -hmm. also the names and labels that others give them. And for Rick, he's not often called dad, nor is he called grandpa, which would be his two family Mm -hmm. names within the familial group he is most often referred to as rick and it seems like he is most comfortable with that moniker but clearly dr wong is naming him as grandpa naming him as father in part to bring it make it visible to everyone in the family that he is a part of the family he is not separate he is not sure he's he's not this adjunct to the family he's not this yeah he's not just this there's this family unit and then there's this rick that is ancillary and just hangs out outside of the family like no rick is in this system he is not his he is not his own system all right so we've talked about anxiety in that can prevent one from attending therapy family therapy or otherwise We've talked about the identified patient and how often that person is the one who is maybe it's often a combination of they are they are their suffering is the most visible. And I think it it is often equally the case that for whatever reason, their position in the family allows their suffering to be seen. Yeah. Now, this this brings me to something that, that struck me as being very resonant um, from Pickle Rick, Mm -hmm. which is there is so much anxiety about going into therapy and people will do just about anything to avoid it. And I mean, not just therapy. There's so many things people will do anything to avoid. And the reality is that is so much fucking harder than just doing the thing. Like if he, if he had just gotten in the car and met Dr. Wong, he would have been bored, which it sounds like is, I mean, death to Rick. Um, but he wouldn't have had to kill cockroaches and a rat army and create a Frankenstein's monster of insects and rats. And pickle. And, and pickle. Um, and then go on just a completely delightful diehard-esque journey, which it, that was lovely. Uh, Selenio. Really? I mean, the B plot is as good as the A plot. And that's not, (laughs) that's not always the case. (laughs) On that show or just ever? I think just in general, just in life. um, (laughs) His side quests are just as good as, as main quest. I think in general, they do a really good job of having very like balanced dual plots. Um, So Lenio is great. I mean, it's so, so great. And if you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, listeners, then by all means, please pause and and watch it. Because I think it's worth the watch. Um, You know, unless unless you're very sensitive to gore. 
and then maybe don't. Um, cartoon, cartoon gore. Cartoon um, gore. And yeah. I will, I will say, well, I found that rather off-putting. Um, cause, and don't get me wrong. Like I like horror. I just, this was, I found it off-putting. Um, but with that being said, I think this is a worthwhile episode to watch. And, uh, having only seen this one episode of the show, I can say you can watch it without any context. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah, just radically accept everything that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and I do, I want to spend a minute. Well, not right. Not this moment, but I do want to get back to, you know, the Russian German Swede folks um, <laughs> who were there. They all had, they mostly had brown hair though. I thought that was an interesting change. Um, it, was, it was a choice. The choice choice they they made. Made, you know, um, maybe they were worried about copyright laws. Who knows? Um, regardless, they, you know, Jessica Gao. Is that the person who wrote it? Let me check that quick. I think it is Jessica Gao. Yeah, because she, didn't she win an Emmy for yeah, it? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Uh, so mad props to Jessica Gao. I, I knew that was your name. And I think I probably pronounced it right. So that's great. <laughs> oh, you can you can put that in your bad day folder. You remember that you pronounced that right. It's true. I'm gonna put some gold stars by it. Um anyway, I wanna talk about Jaguar or Jaguar. Um, but we're gonna put him on hold for a second because I wanna kind of complete your thought right now about anxiety that prevents people from going into therapy or doing a variety of things, right? Like the people feel anxious about going to the dentist. They feel anxious about going to the doctor. They feel anxious about, I don't know. Spending time with their family at the holidays. Yes. All of those things. And this isn't to say that the anxiety doesn't make sense. This isn't to say that the anxiety is inappropriate. It's appropriate. But I think one of the things that the pickle work effort episode offers us is to pause and think, really logically both things are going to be painful right turning myself into a pickle (laughs) is going to be painful and then getting myself unpickled is going to require an enormous amount of work often it's going to require more work than we at first think but then we need to pause and really remember like what it is to be a pickle and how disempowered that makes us right so like compare being a pickle to the work that it would take to go to therapy, right? Mm. Going Mm -hmm. to therapy to your point would have been hard for Rick. He would have hated every minute of it, but it would have been from a logical standpoint, far less work. We avoid things that are going to be emotionally painful and risky. And that sometimes the act of avoiding those interactions requires more energy and is in fact more painful than if we had just gotten down and done the thing itself. Why do we avoid it then, do you think? Because logically, you're absolutely right. It costs Rick so much more to become a pickle and go through that entire Selenio saga than it would have (laughs) if he had just stayed a human and gotten in that car with Beth and the kids and gone to see Dr. Gao. Dr. Um, Wong. Sorry, Dr. Wong. Dr. Wong, not Dr. Gao, although, I mean, clearly, uh, Gao is a a doctor of hilarity. Um, yes. <laughs> and resonance. She's her doctor of resonance. Um, I think people do the really convoluted thing because it feels safer. It goes back to that idea we talked about, who knows when, about homeostasis. That oh, humans yeah. gravitate gravitate towards things that feel familiar, even if they're not the things that serve them, and in fact are things that harm them. Right. So it feels much more familiar for Rick to do some sort of fucked up experiment that messes him up for for ten minutes, because he his intention is that he's going to turn back into a human in ten minutes after they leave. Well, sure, but I, I guess I want to pause it and say this that like. Rick should know, as all viewers do, that nothing that he says out to do for a quick 10 minutes ever actually takes 10 minutes. Mm, that makes sense. You know, so on some level, I think that Rick knows this is going to be a little bit more complicated than just being a chill pickle mm-hmm. for seven to 10 minutes. But, <laughs> to, but going back to what you're saying, he knows how to do that. He knows how to go on all these wild, crazy adventures and die and go back through time and grab a clone of himself or whatever, you know, he gets that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, and and this this takes me back to our conversation about Die Hard. The reason that John McClane leapt into action was because he knows how to do that. He's skillful at that. Right. You know, Rick is skillful at being Rick, I guess. Um, <laughs> but he's not skillful. Or his his conception of what being Rick is. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy this as a fellow narrative therapist, that part of what is keeping Rick down and miserable is that his... The story that he tells himself about himself is that he needs nothing and no one, and he is a system unto himself. Mm. Well, that's just, sorry, that's inaccurate, Rick. Mm -hmm. And what he needs to do is break out of that story and create a more expansive one. But he, that's not something he's familiar with doing. Yeah. And so it was, too, it was too scary. It was too scary, the idea of going to that therapy office, having to consider himself part of this system that he is clearly a part of. Um, and to be the patriarch of this family, which, I mean, that's what he is, right? Sure is. I mean, Jerry's not up for the job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think Jerry's in this episode, Justine, so you haven't had the pleasure. No, that's the ex-husband, right? <laughs> it's the ex-husband. Yeah, he's, he's not up to the challenge. No, I, I only... I hear about him for a second in the room when uh, she talks about being, or they say, ah, and the father isn't coming. Uh, and then where's grandpa? That's like all I know. Yeah. You know, that makes me wonder, was there a scene that maybe dealt with that in more detail? that dad wasn't there, but grandpa was there because clearly there's no space. I mean, part of the reason there's no space for Jerry and, and Jerry's Jerry's Jerry. What more can I say about that? Right. Um, but Rick is such a huge paternal force in the family that he leaves no space for Jerry or anyone to be any kind of father mm -hmm. because he, Rick, he, though he does not want to claim the title of father or grandfather, he has taken up all that space as like the anti-grandfather and the anti-father. And mm -hmm. as is the case with, I think, any extreme, if you go too far to one polarity, you just end up at the other end. I have this conversation with clients all the time uh, that doing the opposite of something is basically doing the same thing. That energetically you are putting forth the same amount of effort if you are doing that thing that your dad used to do, or if you're doing the exact opposite of that thing your dad used to do. So, you know, if your parents are helicopter parents and you're like, I am going to do the exact opposite when I have kids, uh, then you're neglectful. <laughs> that's the exact opposite of helicopter parenting. Yeah. Um, and energetically, that's just as damaging. So we're, we're shooting for a gray area. We're shooting for something in the middle, not these polar ends. Uh, what I what I really liked uh, af after we'll come back to Solenia. Yes. Why don't we Why don't we finish the these this family and then we'll go back to Solenia. Yes, that's that's true. But I I realized as you were naming Solenia again <laughs> that I did want to circle back to something you said not that long ago about okay. making the comparison between Pickle Rick and uh, John McClane. Which like how how can't you? This clearly this is an homage to John McClane. Mm -hmm. Rambo too, but I think John McClane first and foremost, which mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, of course, that's why we picked Pickle Rick to finish off our holiday trifecta. Um, <laughs> um, but so John McClane, he doesn't, he doesn't have the skills to know how to repair with Holly or his children, but he very much wants to try. And so as soon as he sees an opportunity where he might be able to use another set of skills that he could be sort of repurposed towards the main goal of repairing he jumps at that rick does the opposite mm. he he creates very much this artificial scenario that would never have come to be if he if he wasn't trying to avoid family therapy and reconnection so hard that demands the use of these skills and leads him to feeling exhausted being late for family therapy showing up in such a pitiful state that what else can beth do but just give her father the serum so what does that mean? I think what that means is that um, Dr. Wong is right at the end of the episode in which she, 
she all but says to Rick that he's just not willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't have the skills. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's frightening. And it's, that's, that's all understandable, right? Whether it is mm-hmm. going to family therapy for the first time, going to the dentist, going to do your annual checkup, or frankly, going to see your family members at a large social gathering, many of whom you haven't seen in a while, several of whom you have kind of a hard history with, that's all challenging and tough. It's going to be work. Mm -hmm. And much of it isn't going to be fun. And it may not even be very adventurous. But you have to be willing to do the work to repair, to have any chance of repair. And fundamentally, Rick doesn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the benefit of repair? I mean, then you get to have people in your life Mm. you get to be social Mm -hmm. you get to have others that you can talk to and laugh with and you know share challah bread with and these are nice things Mm -hmm. yeah and i would say because yes that was a rhetorical question uh i would also say that this when we repair it it gives us more space mm-hmm. because when we have difficult relationships with people that takes up emotional real estate, those folks are living in your brain, whether you want them to or not. Right. And so if you and uncle Joe have this long unspoken seething tension, sure, that doesn't just go away when you're not around uncle Joe, like uncle Joe lives in your head. And if you and Uncle Joe can find a way to have some kind of peace, I'm not saying like happiness and mirth and like you and Uncle Joe are BFFs, but if you can find some way to have peace so that you're not at war with Uncle Joe, that takes up a lot less emotional real estate. Mm -hmm. And And that's a comfort to not be roiling over this thing in in your unconscious. Right. And I think that leads to the conclusion of the A plot, right? Because mm-hmm. you can see, and honestly, when I first saw this episode, one of the things that this really brought back to me was when I used to work as an in-home family therapist, right? Mm, I'm sure it did. And you're right. So we, we don't need to go down that <laughs> road because this is Starship <laughs> Therapies. This is not Larissa's personal therapy hour. Um, but... One of the, this, I think the, the quiet, poignant moments near the end is you see that the kids want to continue working with Dr. Wong. Mm. And you see when Dr. Wong, ha- like, she's like, oh, time's up, time to go. And she wraps up it's really beautifully. And, you know, the therapist in me is like, oh, God, I got to be like Dr. Wong when it comes <laughs> to wrap up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, and, and when she, when she says, here's my card, we can schedule the kids have this like hope in their eyes. Right. And they look at mom and they look at each other and they look at grandpa and nobody makes an appointment. Mm-hmm. And then there's that scene of them in the car and the kids are really tentatively trying to ask, you know, could we go back? I, and I don't remember which one, you know, tries to say, you know, I kind of liked it. Maybe we could go back. I think it was Morty. Yeah, that feels like something that Morty would say. And I don't mean that to be negative about Morty. Um, I think more part of Morty's struggle in life is that he sometimes is more willing to take that emotional risk, even though if you read the room, you would see that it was not a safe place <laughs> in which to take that emotional risk. But the plight of Summer and Morty is pretty clear there, right? Because... They are attached to people who are their core caregivers, who are important to them. And they're not even adults yet, right? They, don't, they can't just go off on their own if mom and grandpa don't want to be healthy. You know, some are stuck there for another three years. Morty's stuck for another six to seven at least. So what do you do when you have a desire to repair? You have a desire to go to family therapy, but the person you need to go to family therapy with, number one, they're not going to go with you. And maybe number two, they're not even willing to get on board with recognizing that maybe there are some things we need to talk about. 
you know, maybe we can agree that we should talk about in family therapy, but could we at least agree that there are problems? And it's so clear when you watch that dynamic between Beth and grandpa, which for her is her dad, that they are falling right back into old rhythms as patterns, right? They're like, let's wrap the kids up. We could go have a drink together. Reconnect over liquor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, what do you do then? You know, because in that example of, was it Uncle Joe? I mean, Uncle Joe. What do you do when Uncle, when real life Uncle Joe is like, no, I'm fine. This is great. Yeah. So I would say that the goal is the same. The goal is Mm -hmm. to find peace and that's peace in yourself. Yeah. It may not be peace with Uncle Joe, but it's, it's peace with your image of Uncle Joe. Peace with your inner Uncle Joe. Because external Uncle Joe is going to do what external Uncle Joe is going to do. Right. He's going to, he's going to pickle Rick it up. Yeah, yeah, he is. But can you find some some peace in knowing and accepting that this is this is who Uncle Joe is. This is who this is who Rick is. Yeah. Rick isn't going to change. No. And so how can I find some peace with that? And I'm not saying that's easy because it's Mm-mm. not. It's very difficult and it's something that people work on I mean, it's a continual process. You can you can come to peace with someone who's difficult mm-hmm. and something happens and you get activated and it's a, you know, it's a challenge all over again. Right. It's but, kind of to put it yeah. another way and to kind of bring it back to the idea mm-hmm. of yoga, which I know, you know, you and I both have important relationships with yoga. You yourself mm-hmm. are a yoga teacher and mm-hmm. trainer um, that that feeling that you get at the end of a yoga session where you, you feel so calm and integrated and just inside your body and it feels so safe, right? Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, you're lucky if that lasts the rest of the day. Oh, yeah, come on. Rest but of re- the day. But like realistically, we got that <laughs> for like five, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes longer, depending on how we structure the remainder of our day. But that is, in and of itself, it is a, it is finite. It will come back around, but mm-hmm. it is not a state that is going to last permanently. And so this sense of sort of peace, radical acceptance, kind of whatever word like feels most resonant for you, that you can get in relationship to, you know maybe the memories of Rick, because you can't do it with Rick realistically, you can get to that place of peace and be like, you know what? This is just how he is. Mm-hmm. And I wish he was different. I deserved him to be different. This wasn't my fault. You know, I'm just Morty. I'm just Summer. I'm just Beth. You, and that'll feel true. And you'll have that for a while. But then probably real Rick will, you know, use his trans-dimensional ray gun to like appear in your bathroom right in the middle of your skincare routine and he'll be like come on summer <laughs> let's go save birdman's cousin or whatever he'll do right uh, i guess i guess, i'm just and then you're, and then you're in chaos all over again <laughs> just just rolling with the plot line here i don't i have no idea <laughs> that's fair that would have required having watched more of Rick and Morty. <laughs> but I think, I, and who knows how this series will actually end. I think there's reason to think that perhaps Summer and I don't, potentially even Morty will get to that point with their grandfather. For Beth, it it does seem pretty clear at this point that she she's willing to do whatever it takes to connect with Rick. Mm. And that means a lot of pain and sacrifice. Yeah. 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 Connection isn't always safe. No, it's not always safe. And it's when it can't be reciprocated, when it involves like in Beth's case, giving and giving and giving and giving and, getting very little, if anything, in return, then that's a point where we need to look at the relationship and say, is it healthy for me to maintain this? Or do I need to find a way to either really limit or end it? 
Yeah, it seems like, and we've talked about boundaries in the past, but it seems like there's mm-hmm. some serious boundary confusion in the in the Rick home. Do they have a last name? Ah, the Sanchez home. Yeah, I don't know what Jerry's last name is. Um, oh, it's Smith. Oh, that's so, yeah, that makes a kind of sense. So Rick's <laughs> name is, Rick is Rick Sanchez. And uh, everybody took Jerry's last name, but they did. Everybody's okay. a Smith. But... Okay, so, so Rick is a Sanchez and everybody else is Smiths. <laughs> right. But really, mm-hmm. they're really Smiths in name only. I think it's very much the Sanchez household. To your point that boundaries are very muddy if existent at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, confused. Confused. Con- we have some confused mm-hmm. boundaries. We have some confused boundaries here, yes. Mm-hmm. And they, it seems as though they, they could benefit from some more substantial and expressed boundaries. Yes. Mm-hmm. And by expressed, we do mean verbal. <laughs> yes. And yes, a, rebuilding, a rebuilding of trust and an acknowledgement of the ways and the times and the manners in which trust was broken. Mm. Yeah. As we're as we're closing out the Sanchez story, the Sanchez family story. <laughs> yes. Um, I got to say, I was I was intrigued mm-hmm. that after Rick goes through this whole thing, right, that he, that he does go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's because Jaguar said he should connect with his daughter? Or do you think he was always headed there? So Jaguar is such an interesting character, right? Um, I don't know if this is important. Where am I going with this? That this too is a trope, right? It is the trope where we see um, this sort of morally ambiguous character redeemed by their affection to often a female gendered character, whether it is a wife, a girlfriend, or a daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think this show is doing something interesting here where it is calling out the trope by subverting it and poking fun at it but then what it also kind of comes close to doing is saying well what do daughters really matter anyway Oof, right that's kind of that's kind of dark it did i took it in a real dark place um this is rick and morty uh Am I sure that the show is saying this? No. Am I sure that the show is not saying this, though? <laughs> no, again. I think what Rick and Morty <laughs> likes to do is they like to throw out all these different interpretations and ideas on the table and kind of be like, sit with it. Because mm. there are elements here. And certainly, Rick very much wants to believe that family members and daughters don't matter. Right? Because like, that's very much his closing message to Jaguars. He's like, I don't know if my daughter matters to me. Like, there are infinite numbers of her, there are infinite numbers of me. And actually, I abandoned one of my infinite numbers of my daughter back on this planet that was overtaken by mutants. But then he does something interesting, right? Because Jaguar is like, hey, Rick, does that mean I have infinite daughters? Mm-hmm. And Rick says, no, you have just the one. In some ways, it would have been far more in character for Rick to wreck this man's emotional truth wreck this thing that had kept this man going his one good thing in his life which was the relationship he had with his daughter but rick doesn't do that Hmm. that's interesting because that's not the way that i interpreted that scene fair yeah uh, the way that i read that was if um if rick says yes you have infinite daughters then suddenly there's hope for this guy that he might see his daughter again and Uh, he he, Rick doesn't want to instill that hope. Sure. I think that is another way to read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is again, very much in line with Rick and Morty. Either one is quite bleak. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not saying the way I interpreted it was like sunshines and rainbows. (laughs) No, it's, it's all really quite sad. So to bring it back around to your final question, why does he go back to family therapy? I think this gets to the heart of what's truly tragic about Rick's relationship with his daughter, right? Because 
she takes the serum with to family therapy. Mm. She could have oh. removed it and left it on the table. She could have gone in and put it in a kitchen cupboard. She takes it to therapy because she knows oh, that sure. he will come for the serum. But it also gives that doubt. Maybe dad came from me. But on a gut level, she doesn't trust that. But she does trust that he'll come for the anti-pickle serum. Uh, I, and that the reaction I'm having is... Um from the years that I worked specifically in drug treatment. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, uh, I'm still specialized in drug and alcohol counseling, but, um, I don't, that's not my specific work anymore. And I saw the parallel to that all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, what do I need to do to get dad to show up? Mm -hmm. And, um, in, in the drug counseling world there, it usually shows up as, um, usually shows up as, as deal breakers. Like if, okay, dad, you have a choice here, you can either show up or not, but if you don't show up, um, you're getting kicked out of the house. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that's good, bad, or otherwise. It just, when you talk about the, the, maybe he came because of that, maybe he came for me. Mm -hmm. Like that's that question was kind of always swirling around in the air. Like, right. did did dad go to treatment because he cares about us or did dad go to treatment because mm -hmm. he was going to get kicked out of the house? And I think in many cases, the answer is both. Mm -hmm. And I also think that often for the family members involved, one of the places that I've I've seen folks get to is that's not enough for me. Like, mm -hmm. I need you to show up for me, dad. Mm -hmm. I need that to be the reason. And when it becomes pretty clear that that's not something that dad's going to be able to do, that is that sense of peace, that sort of radical acceptance that people can start to come to, which is, okay, these are dad's real limitations. These are grandpa's real limitations. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of me? Because mm -hmm. I've been depending on this person to show up in some really specific ways. And I'm at a point where I recognize they're, they can't do that. So what's next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do I need to do for me? How, what do mm -hmm. I need to do so that I'm okay? Exactly. Going back to self-compassion. Remember mm -hmm. our three steps to self-compassion. Step one, notice that you're suffering. Step two, acknowledge that suffering is universal human experience. And in that way, I'm never suffering alone. Step three, ask, how can I be kind to myself in this moment? Mm. Do you think the Sanchez Smiths have any sense of self-compassion? That look says no. Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they got, I think they got a self-obsession and nihilism. <clears throat> Um, with their twin friends of self-doubt and self-loathing. But I don't think they have a lot of self-compassion. Um, I, I would say that that's probably part of what motivates Rick as well. I think that's part of why he is constantly relitigating what a genius he is. Because in his heart, he doesn't fully believe that. Because if he did, he, he wouldn't have to say it all the time. He wouldn't have to show it all the time. Mm. He wouldn't need that audience of Morty all the time. It would be enough that he knew it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that got real dark. <laughs> it did. And to those of you out there who are familiar with Rick and Morty, hopefully it is not a surprise that this closing episode of the Holiday Trifecta was darker you know i'm not gonna say you know midnight um on a moonless prairie night <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna say um you know twilight like uh when things start to go a little dark and eerie on uh the twilight princess and the zelda franchise before those big demony dudes come out yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
Uh, well, and now that we're talking about it, that Solenia bit makes so much more sense to me. Okay. Because like, I, well, I thought it was a delightful interlude, and but I was like, I don't understand what the purpose of this is. Well, we need a fucking delightful interlude because everything else is so dark. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, like, uh, could we have a delightful interlude, please? Mm-hmm. And like, people will still be murdered, but could it be whimsical? Could it be whimsical murder? And it was. It was very whimsical murder. It was. It was super whimsical. Uh, I loved all the Selenia stuff. There, uh, what at the end when he's about to blow up the the Hans Gruber type character? Hans Gruber is like, farewell, Selenia. <laughs> what would you say would be our big takeaway from the saga of Selenio? Uh, to, I mean, we can learn so much from Selenio, but I think <laughs> uh, what it's important for our listeners at home to spend some time thinking about is that it's okay that things are hard right now, if things are hard right now. Um, the media would have us believe that the holidays are a joyous, beautiful time, devoid of sadness and full of diamonds and, uh, and light and chocolate covered hazelnuts oh. and that <laughs> and that yeah everything is wonderful and beautiful and shiny and bright and if you're sad that means something negative about you and that shit just isn't accurate mm-hmm. the the thing about holidays is they shine a light on shit that's kind of well I guess we're going back to cockroaches like so many cockroaches have skittered into the very darkest corners of our mind throughout the rest of the year. And holidays just turn on this big ass light. And suddenly all those, all those cockroaches are, are scurrying. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a hard time right now, it's okay. We feel you. Yeah, we do. this is not an easy time for folks. So find compassion. See if you can embrace radical acceptance. And if you can't, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe. it is okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a lot to do right now. And you don't have to get it all done right now. You do not have to figure out who you need to go to family therapy with. You do not need to figure out how to get them on board. You don't, you don't need to worry about that right now. You Mm -hmm. just get to name that it is a hard time right now. And once you've named that and you've recognized that you are not alone in that, and you for sure are not because there are two people right here (laughs) who are right there with you. Um, Then what I would say is spend time with the people in your life who you can count on to be there, who are reciprocal in their love, in their care and support, who feel safe, who feel trustworthy. Those may be humans. They may be fur friends. They may be nature. Whoever they are, whatever. They may be fan- fandom attachments. They may be fandom attachments. Whatever form these this supportive network takes for you, reach out to it. Connect to it. It really is going to be okay. Yeah. And have compassion for yourself. Sometimes just acknowledging that something is hard goes a really long way. Because our internal voices, our internal monologue is often saying things like, this shouldn't be so hard, or I thought I worked on this, why is this still bothering me? Or you see an advertisement on the Hallmark channel, uh, and you're like, why is my family not like that family? Um, is it me? Did I just not work hard enough? Oh, yeah. Did Why am I not receiving diamonds and chocolate-covered <laughs> hazelnuts? <laughs> is it something I did? No, you deserve both of those. <laughs> but please, cruelty-free. Hazelnuts <laughs> and diamonds. Yes, yes, please, both. Um, no, please, send me none of those. Uh, <laughs> but just giving voice to 
you know, when that little voice in your head pops up and is like, oh, this is because of you. This is something you did. If you can tune into it and be like, hey, I get that part of me feels that way. But the reality is this is just a really hard time. And there's a lot of stuff going on right now that I can't control. And that's hard. But this isn't my fault. Mm-mm. No. That, that can go a long way. It really can. So what are some things that our friends at home can look up on the old Google machine to learn more about what we talked about today? All right. So have I got some terms for our friends? We have family therapy. We have contextual therapy, which was founded by our dear friend whose name I'm going to butcher yet again. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Ivan. Ivan Bosmormeni Naji. <laughs> Always makes me think of uh, Nagini or Nagini, whose name I also couldn't really pronounce. Um, not down with the new retcon, but, you know, I'm talking old, old school Nagini uh, or Nagini, whichever. Um, I need to stop saying names. Other things that folks can Google is gonna, are going to be self-compassion, <laughs> identified patient or IP, homeostasis, and last but certainly not least, boundaries. And as always, friends, we may be at the helm of the ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. So long, Solenio. <laughs> Tune in for our next episode on The New Year's Revolution. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, friends, live, live long, long and, and prosper. prosper. Let's uh, let's start riffing and let's see where it goes. Okay. And, and if we find that we aren't making... Uh, terrific <laughs> progress <laughs> we'll do some scripting uh, nicely done mark down the time that that happened because that was pun gold okay 